Blog Talk Radio. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Talamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad, with your breakfast toast. All right, Tuesday morning, May 3rd, 2016. It's Chad Wilson. It's Amo Calamino. And we are going to be here with you for the next, I say 30 minutes, Amo, but I don't know if we're going to be able to accomplish that. That's what we're shooting for, a little 30-minute podcast here for you, talking about the recently completed NFL draft. Talking busts, talking gems, we'll be doing all that here over the next 30 minutes. I say that. Or, or or a little bit more. We might have to go over. Or perhaps we'll run a little bit past that. I know we get into the discussion here about um, the NFL draft, and it be you know might be a little difficult to keep it here 30 minutes, but we will attempt to do so. If not, so be it. You get some overtime on the NFL and uh, NFL draft talk here on the Good Iron Stud Show. Just a programming announcement for you. Uh, this is going to be the final show until August. We're going to go on hiatus here and do a little bit of planning and uh, sew up some other loose ends that we have here. But have no fear, the Gridiron Stud Show is going to come back. It'll be in full force for the college football, NFL, and high school football season coming up in the fall. But we're going to make, you know, we'll do a little cosmetics. Can I can I use a term like that, Amy? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna improve things. Make it better for the listeners because we're we're that we're those type of guys, aren't we? Yeah, we're just the, we're just those type of guys. So we're going to uh, try and take this thing to the next level. So, uh, just a programming announcement there. We will this will be the final show until August. We'll give our we'll give your summer back to you guys. Go out and do something um, great with Fun. your summer, and stop sitting around waiting for the gridiron stud show because we know that's. That's what you guys do on a daily basis. <laughs> Again, we're going to talk NFL draft, but before we do that, Emil, they did a 30 for 30 on uh, one of my least favorite topics out there, and that is the 2004 Boston Red Sox team. Yeah, I guess they did something kind of special. They bumped off the New York Yankees, went out, won a World Series. You know, They had the curse of the Bambino thing going on. You had some kind of uh, an opinion on that 30 for 30. Now, mind you, the 30 for 30s have been, in my opinion, one of the greatest things. And ma- a matter of fact, in terms of original programming, the best thing at ESPN oh, over the last... Oh, it's one of the only great things that I like at ESPN is 30 for 30. Or should I say did yeah, like? Yeah, you, you have an opinion, however, about this particular 30 for 30 that you wanted to share with our listening audience. It's more of a general. It's not a thirty for thirty opinion as much as you know where ESPN seems to be headed, and we've we've covered this and you know other shows when it's come up. Uh, you know, it started with I, I guess last summer. Well, I shouldn't say it started there, but it, one of the most noticeable ones was when they slapped Stephen A. Smith around last summer for whatever. I, I even forget what he had said. It was a comment on a controversial uh, social topic, and I, didn't he get suspended a week? Am I right about that? He did. I don't know yeah, about the length. Get, uh, you know, I don't recall the length of time he was suspended, but he was suspended. Yeah, and then you know, Kyle Hurd came along later in the winter, or you know, late winter, fall, whenever. He said something, and I don't know if he had to apologize or he got suspended. Uh, and it seems to just be this, you know, this trend with ESPN. Now, along comes Kurt Schilling. Now, first of all, let me let me get this on the table. I'm not necessarily a Kurt Schilling fan, as far as he was a great pitcher. Um, I think he's a bad broadcaster just in general. He's not entertaining to me. I mean, I like uh, a lot of people didn't like Joe Morgan. I like Joe Morgan when he used to be on Sunday Night Baseball. Um, you know, there's guys I do like on that station that do the games as far as former players. Schilling was not one of them. I didn't think he had a great style. But, hey, that's me. That's just my opinion. Um, but what I will say is he got fired at ESPN for some very controversial topics. That's their right to fire him, okay? No doubt about it. 
they own the business. They can, you know, have the image portrayed of that business however they like. But when you're doing a 30 for 30 about the 2004 Red Sox and their comeback against the Yankees from 3-0 down in the ALCS, which had never been done before, and you leave out Schilling's pitching game in the bloody sock, the game Schilling pitched with the bloody sock, you're leaving out a major part of the story. Now, you may think the the sock was contrived. I seem to think there may have been that myself. But it's a big part of the story. It's like, I mean, it's like leaving out tackling when you're doing football highlights. It's a huge part of the story. And ESPN obviously doesn't like Kurt Schilling anymore. They've had, you know, a, a, a bad, messy divorce. So, but you can't edit history. When you start changing history, what, make, what makes 30 for 30 so good, as far as I'm concerned, is they got into a lot of things that you know, weren't reported on the news in that, like, for instance, the Duke case I just watched from the lacrosse team. So I guess when I look at ESPN and, you know, you could say, well, this guy's ranting on them, but the numbers say I'm right. I was talking to Chad about this off air. Last year, ESPN laid off, I think, about 400 employees. Um, They lost 7 million subscribers. Now, if you hear ESPN's take on it, it's because of streaming and the Internet and all that good stuff. I'll buy some of that. But here's the thing. People don't get rid of things that they enjoy watching. I come on this mm. show a lot of times, and, and when I think they're wrong, I'll light up the NFL. But you want to know something? I've had the NFL package for the last 10 or 11 years, and I'll probably end up somehow with it again this year. <laughs> okay? It just Because when it comes time to say goodbye and part ways, I can't do it. But people are yeah, saying I mean, they, 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 and, and, you know, I can agree with that. No doubt about it. If you, I mean, you can – there, there's several things that I will complain about and still keep them around. It's just, I guess, simply because it's good, but I'd like it to be better, and I know the way, so you know, I guess I kind of complain about it. But I agree with you with that. But, you know, Abe, I think I think what we're seeing is a, I don't know, we could call it gradual maybe, but a shift in what ESPN is going to do. Where exactly they're headed, I'm not sure, but there seems to be some sort of shift going on there with ESPN and what started out as just being all about sports and bringing you um, initially sports that were not widely covered. And then they got into the mainstream sports when they built up their financial profile. Um, They seem to be shifting into another area. And when you start getting rid of, I can always measure a company or an organization by the people that they keep around. Or, or the people that they get rid of. And when I start seeing them get rid of Coward and all of the people they seem to be pushing off, it just seems like there was a big meeting and they decided there was going to be a shift in philosophy here and they're going about doing it. I don't know if you get that same impression. Well, yeah. Well, the Coward thing, I mean, he, he from what I understand, he left uh, of his own, you know, volition. He got a better deal or whatever it was. But here, here's the thing. They made him feel like he wanted to leave. In other words, a guy like him, you make him feel loved. I think he probably, if you asked him, loved his gig originally at ESPN and wouldn't have even been looking for a different gig if you just made the guy feel like, like he belonged there. But when you hire people to do opinion shows, and that's what these guys are, Stephen A., Cowherd, what makes them interesting is every once in a while they're going to say something that really pisses you off. And sure. that's really – I don't believe it's contrived with them. You can tell when somebody's faking it. If you listen to – enough programming, and it could be any topic, political, sports, business, you can tell when somebody's making something up just to piss you off. These guys really believe it. That's their opinion. What makes them interesting for me is, to use a cliche, they think outside the box, and whether I agree with them or not, they make me think. When you start editing and cleansing those guys, you're you're basically, you're emasculating them. That's not what they're about. Now, Stephen A., he swallowed hard because they... um, I think I think ESPN has gotten a certain amount of publicity off of their suspensions. I think it's been, you know, it's been an attention getter for them. So, you know, let no it doubt. go. Everyone talks about it. It makes it all the way through social media. And then that's just more publicity free as it, as it may be uh, for ESPN. No doubt. I, I agree with you. I, uh, but I'm just, you know, from, from my seat, I think, they better be very careful because, you know, the numbers are not, this is not me just coming up with this. The numbers are indicating people are starting to leave. Your, your hardcore sports fan, which is what ESPN was made up of, that's what 
got ESPN to where they are today. Your hardcore sports fan turns on ESPN for sports and hardcore sports analysis and highlights. When, when, when the anchors on SportsCenter become more important than the highlights that they're showing, in my opinion, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's not the way that um, station yeah. was. That's, that's not what made ESPN great. And I'm going to tell you, the only thing that will keep them propped up above the guys nipping at them, the Fox Sports Ones and the NBC and CBS, the, the offshoot networks, is right now ESPN has a monopoly on the games that they show. In other words, they got the contract with the SEC. They got the contract with the NFL. They have the contract with MLB. But, you know, those things are going to come up again, okay, at some point. And these companies like Fox, make no, make no mistake about it, they, they got piles of money too. And if they really decide we're going to take a shot here and go after these guys and get some of this programming, if they stick with hardcore sports, which is what they seem to be doing, um, I think they're going to eventually start to erode ESPN's base because ESPN has gone on to a lot of social topics. Um, people watch sports to get away from that stuff, in my opinion. I don't turn mm-hmm. on sports to hear political talk. If I wanted to do that, I'd turn on a political station, right? Sure. But why not well, make I, it in there? You're try- Listen, you know what I've noticed about cable is you've got, you've got all these channels lined up, and they know people surf. All right. Uh, sure. There are enough people that are doing research to know that people surf through channels. And it seems to me that the big thing that we've got going on here is that you're trying to make people freeze on your channel. So uh, I think what you're trying to do is if you've got these, it's political time. All right. And if you've got people surfing the channels during this time, you figure you have a lot of people that are politically inclined, that are into politics, surfing through the channels. And you're trying to grab them and steal them away from the other channels. That just it just looks like that's what this thing is all about now. With with cable television and satellite television taking off, you're really just trying to pull in a little piece of everyone's audience. And um, Chad, I don't I don't disagree with you, but I don't think it's the way to do it because I think you're you're looking at a, a group guys like you and me. If you seriously were in the mood to really listen to something political, you were interested in. You're turning on a station that you you like to watch. You just you, you are. You, you're like me. You're watching a game. I'm not watching an NFL game to have a halftime dissertation about gun violence. Okay, I'm not going well, to buy. Why not? Able, though, why why not turn my station into like a flea market? Why, why not do that? Uh, uh, obviously, why that's what they're doing. So I just sell lumber and stuff like that. Let me sell a little bit of everything. I think that's the philosophy. Well, and I totally agree with you. That is the philosophy. I'm just telling you personally, I disagree with it, and we're going to see how it plays out. Somebody's going to, you know, the, the, we'll see if these, these trends continue. If ESPN adds 10 million subscribers next year, I will humbly say whatever they did was right, and I was wrong. If, if the trend continues, um, you know, whatever. But, <laughs> you know, they're not going to go out of business. I know that. But But when you lose 7 million subscribers, that's substantial. I mean, I think the, I think I read there's that's seven percent of their subscribers. If you lose seven percent of your business in any business, it hurts you. Yeah, no, you know, no doubt about that. So I, I, maybe they're just looking at it as the fundamental change. But that's something I guess we could say for when we get back in August, if we have time for that. Let's talk sure. about the NFL draft, which is the biggest and the best thing that was going on on the gridiron um, over the over the last few days of the past weekend. Real quick, Emil. Uh, We've had, I don't know, I don't know how many players get drafted. You probably know that in total. Through I think the there was 200. Round. I want to say there was 253 this year, only because I saw the guy with the Mr. Irrelevant jersey, and I could swear it said 253. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the math says seven rounds, 32 teams. You're probably somewhere around 225, 224. Then you got the compensatory picks, Chad. You got your competitory oh, yeah, picks, are, don't you? Oh, those two. Uh, any yeah. way you look at it, we don't have the exact number, but uh, over 200 players drafted um, in this year's NFL draft. So uh, we need to talk about where the players came from because that's important to people. And um, as you know, there's always the big three just because of size and population. Um, Texas, California, and Florida. Who do you think took the title this year out of those three? Well, you and I are pretty transparent in the way we do things. Most of the people listen to the show 
understand that. So, if, you know, if it was USC, I'm sure I'd start with that. But so I'm going to guess Florida if you're coming up with this. No, 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 no. I'm talking about state-wise. I know. I said I'm going to guess Florida if you're coming up with this. You coach football well, no. in Florida. But nevertheless, state of Texas, which is kind of hard to beat given the size, state of Texas, once again, um, produced the most draft picks this year, 32 uh, out of the 200-plus draft. You're saying where the kids went to high school or where the kids went to college? High school. Okay, 32 from Texas. Okay, keep going. 32 from Texas, followed by Florida put... with 30. And, and then, then California, California was third. Yes, how many did California with... have? Yeah, third with 25. I guess what would be uh, most interesting to, to anyone would be where wh- who came after that, because you kind of always can figure Florida, Texas, and California will be the will be the top three. Let me guess. One way I want to guess. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Who was fourth after those three? Not going to tell you who, but that number is 16, which is considerably less than those top three. Sure. I'll throw out two. You could give me two here. Two for a lot Japanese. of states. Yes. Do 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 do. Ohio or Georgia? Georgia is is your uh, is your third place, fourth place. Sorry, finisher out of the uh, uh, what high school or what city, uh, what state did they come from? And with sixteen, followed by uh, Ohio, who had fourteen. Uh, you want to guess? No, I didn't see that list. Come on, wait, wait, wait. It's eight o'clock in the morning or 8.15, we're on a Tuesday, up here it's raining, it's about 60 degrees, it's depressing. you got to give me, make me feel good for today. Tell me that that was how, how good I am to come up with those two. Come on. You are just outstanding, sir. Thank you, Absolutely, sir. Thank positively you. outstanding. Thank you. Georgia number four with 16, Ohio number five with 14. Can you give me number six? Well, I'll tell you what, we got a lot of kids playing pro ball up here in Pennsylvania. I'm going Pennsylvania. You, uh... Close, but no cigar. Illinois popped in okay. there with 10. Pennsylvania's got to be last... seven. or Where's Pennsylvania? Yeah, they'd be next. Pennsylvania next okay. with nine. Yeah. Um, Illinois, last the last state with double-digit draftees picked up in this year's NFL draft. You want to throw out a – this might be easy, but let's just start throwing out some states that did not, did not have a draftee this year. Ooh, I well, mean, let's get by the Dakotas. I'm going to okay, guess, listen, I'm going to guess because there's more trees than by a long way or, or probably more bare than there are people. Montana. Um, you know, when you go into that when you go into that region there. Where is Wentz from, though, by the way? Where? Wentz? Where is Carson Wentz from? I didn't, you know, not sure. Uh, I mean, I know he. Well, listen, if you end up in North Dakota State, not, and that's a great program, by the way. I mean, I guess he's from someplace, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, someplace near. Well, I guess not, yeah. since they did not produce a draft pick this year. So, you know, kind of wow. why I brought that up. That's a surprise. How about New Mexico? New Mexico didn't produce one. Uh, that shouldn't really surprise. How about Idaho? Did they produce anything other than a potato? Uh, let's Let's take a look. No, Idaho drew a blank. You know, what was a little surprising for me is that the state of Colorado did not produce a. Yeah, that uh, is surprising because you got you got Denver and Boulder and some you know larger cities, and I know that uh, just following college recruiting like I do, USC dips into the state of Colorado quite a bit over the years for 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 some premium players. So I'm surprised. Perhaps less than and less. Here's a surprise: Maine produced a draft pick this year. Good old Maine did. Uh, but New wow. Hampshire did not. Sorry, sorry to point that out to you. So there you have it. Um, not going to spend too much more time on that. It's it's Texas, it's Florida, it's California. It's like that every year. And um, you know there there you go. There you have it. All right, let's jump right into this draft. Um, I say that 20 minutes into the show. But uh, let's start off with who we thought had the top drafts. Um, you have a strong opinion on that, and. And, you know, I have one as well. I think yours is a little strong. Well, wait, can we first, wait, I want to get some things on the table with this because understand that we're doing a show here and everybody's talking about, you know, who had a strong draft. Let's be honest. We we all know, anybody with a brain at this point understands that what we're doing here is, is total conjecture for the sake of, you know, it's entertainment and, you know, it's what we think on two days after or three days after a draft. There's really no way 
the only way to do this in a, in a logical manner would be if we started telling you guys who had a great draft in 2012. We could go back and look at that, but no one's going to want to listen to a show when we're talking about guys that were drafted four years ago. But that's the truth. I mean, well, I'd be kind of really, honest, you know, right? But that's what I'm saying. I mean, to sit here and say, I mean, most of the time you give somebody a good draft is because they did what you would have done, right? I mean, the only person you or I agree with 100 percent of the time is ourselves, and that's most people. So. With that said, and here's what I think had a good – yeah. yeah, right. Sometimes I don't agree with myself. I mean, for me, obviously, uh, I think the Jags had a nice draft. Uh, Bradley's a defensive guy. He's wanted to transform that defense, make them a little bit faster. He's made them a lot faster. And On day one, he gets Jalen Ramsey at number five. That falls in his lap when the Cowboys uh, stay at four and pick Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, the Cowboys have been looking, I guess, to trade down in that position to six with the Ravens, and then word leaked to them that the Ravens were going to take Elliott, so they stayed put. They took Elliott. Ramsey falls in the Jags' lap. Uh, and then on day two, they make a, you know kind of a lottery ticket type of pick and take a guy that most people would have easily placed in the top ten, maybe even the top five or six in this draft in, in terms of talent in Miles Jack. Um, provided he's healthy and can give them four or five healthy years. I mean, at some point, word is that knee problem is going to require that microfracture surgery, um, something a lot of guys never recover from. The Cowboys' Anthony Spencer had that surgery a couple of years ago. Uh, but for the time being, represents great value in the second round. Then they go down in round four, grab Sheldon Day, the big Shinsei's. He's an undersized defensive tackle from Notre Dame, but a good one. And then they grab a quarterback, Brandon Allen, in round six, and let's face it, Blake Bortles, nobody, nobody's etched him in stone as he's definitely the answer. So they do what you and I have talked about, uh, take a quarterback every every year and see what happens. So I like what Jacksonville right. did. Uh, yeah, and there are many who agree with that. I don't have Jacksonville on my list. Let me tell you something, uh, and you can just, you know, you could call me crazy on this one, Emil, but I'm just, I'm just not sure what – where are you going to play Jalen Ramsey? Are, are you going to put him out there at corner? Are you going to put him there at free safety? I'm not saying he's not a great football player. That's obvious, anyone who's watched him. But until I can really get a handle on how Jacksonville is going to use Jalen Ramsey, tough for me to say where to go with that pick there. You know, that's, that's well, a little difficult. That's valid, difficult. and, you, you know, you and I talked about this on the phone, just horsing around talking about this draft. One of my concerns, and I, I agree you have a valid concern with Ramsey, is just because you're a great athlete, and he is, and he was a great college football player, if you're not used properly and, and don't master something in the NFL, you could become one of these guys that is is good but never reaches the level he should. I mean, at some point, they've got to pick a position for this guy and say, you are a corner playing on the outside, or you are a free safety. Pick a position and let the guy go and try to become an all-pro at that position. If you, if This hybrid stuff I keep hearing, that's the new buzzword on these draft shows. Hybrid, oh, hybrid, the NFL does this. Listen, there's not very many great hybrid players in any sport. You're either, you know what I'm saying? You're, it's like a baseball utility player. Yeah, he's a great utility player. That means he's not on the all-star team usually. Right? Sure. <laughs> um, and, and, and that would be your concern there with, with, with the Jalen Ramsey. I Listen, I know he's going to be a good football player. Whether or not he'll be great has a lot to do with how he's used there. And to be honest with you, Emil, as we're doing all of this analysis on the draft, that's really what it boils down to. We may indeed be right as we say this here today, but um, – some of these organizations may not, may, may not be effective in using that player, and so we may end up just being wrong. So well, let me ask you this. Let it. me ask you this before I move to my next team because we don't want to tie up too much time, but I do value your opinion on this kind of stuff. For me, and this is me, and I want to see you watch a hell of a lot more film and you played this position. I see Ramsey being much more effective as a safety, more in the mold of an Earl Thomas, hopefully now. He's got to learn how to catch a football. I don't say that sarcastically. I say it seriously. He had three picks mm-hmm. in three years at Florida State. And if you want to be safety in the NFL these days and you want to be a difference maker, you've got to turn the ball over and get takeaways. And he drops a lot of interceptions. But that said, I see his size and just the way he seems to move when I've seen some film here of him leading up to draft. 
he seems to project to me as like a very good, maybe even all pro NFL safety if he can develop those skills, not a corner. What do you think? I think Jalen Ramsey is more Charles Woodson in the in the middle of his career to it and and to the end than he is Darrell Revis. Uh, I don't know that he's a guy you just would have him shadow a team's top play, uh, a wide receiver. Um, maybe he could do that, but I see him more as a Charles Woodson, a guy that's just going to appear everywhere and be uh, a, more of a problem from that standpoint than than you know anything else. I think with the whole you know turnovers, the lack of interceptions and whatnot. The position he was playing those first two years at Florida State did not necessarily call for that. You know, LaMarcus Joyner, who played it very well before him, didn't have a ton of interceptions there. What he did, tackles for loss, um, forced fumbles, which Ramsey had four of those in those first, first two seasons. And to lend to that point, four forced fumbles in those first two seasons playing that star position. And when he was moved to corner last year, zero. Um, so, you know, it was a little, you, you know, you might, Ask yourself how he did not come up with any interceptions last year, and you can't really say the teams avoided him. I know my school, Miami, went right at him, and had they had a little bit of a good time doing that, which is what holds me back from saying he's that shut-down corner type. So I, I think safety, you might be right. Yeah, is and you know how you watch enough you know, football chat over the years? You don't have to be a football coach to just say that, you know, as you get older, you see a guy move, and especially at those positions, the way they run, their stride, the hips and everything. He just doesn't strike me. I mean, I know that's that's very ambiguous for someone listening, but he just doesn't strike me as someone that when I watch him moves like a corner. To me, he just looks the part of that safety. I think he could do it, but when you're going to the NFL – you don't have time for a ton of development there. If you want to get the most out of this guy immediately, I think you put him at safety. That's where he made his name. That's 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 where I think he can cause the most mayhem. And um, I think he might be rolling the dice a little bit if you make him a cornerback. Well, you gave one team. I'll give one of mine. Um, okay. I really like what the Buffalo Bills did in their draft, uh, believe it or not. Um, you know, I thought Buffalo had a pretty strong draft. I, I like to look for, you know, some impact players. Um, when you when you get into the draft, well, maybe Buffalo wasn't the biggest in doing that, but Shaq Lawson, obviously, um, highly productive defensive end on a great defense for Clemson, so I like that move there. Reggie Ragland, and I know people have all their opinions about Alabama football players when they come to the NFL, but there's no de- denying his production and uh, the kind of football player he was for Alabama. So I like that pick there. Hopefully How about where they got him, though? I mean, you can't argue they got him at 41. I mean, most most sure. analysts, for what it's worth, had him as a first-round talent. So to get him at 41 and add, add loss into that defense, that represents pretty good value as far as, you know, if, if you're looking on paper, I would think. Yeah, and I think they got value in their third-round pick, uh, 80th pick overall, Adolphus Washington from Ohio State, another guy that produced well. Again, though, was on – of a you know, very good football team, perhaps the best football team in college football over the last two or three seasons in Ohio State. And, you know, we had talked about the number four pick for the Buffalo Bills, Cardale Jones, and there was talk about him being in the second or third round, which I wasn't sure that that's where he belongs. But at in, in the fourth round, Cardale Jones is a good pickup. He's a good insurance policy if the, the guys that you have starting off at quarterback there are not able to get it together – and become the guy for you. Cardell Jones could come in and develop well. He certainly has the physical tools, and not he's, he's as a number four, as a fourth round pick, he's not pressured to go out there right now and be the guy for your franchise. And I think sitting there in the wings, if he's you know willing and able, and attacks the fact that he's not the starter now, and just try to learn as much as possible, he can be a real gem for them. Number five, Jonathan Williams, uh, the the other running back from Arkansas. You know, everyone talks about. Alex Collins, Jonathan Williams was highly productive. Um, One could say just as productive as Alex Alex Collins. Um, That could be a very good pickup for the Buffalo Bills. So I just like what they did there. Colby Listenby, one of the fastest wide receivers in college football from TCU. You know, um, uh, a a weapon for them there, even in the return game and a deep threat. And then uh, someone, you know, Kevin Seymour, cornerback out of USC, if you're picking him up in the sixth round. Um, you know, not much to lose there. So I like each and every one of their picks, and I think they were. I think they did a good job there. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, looking at it the way you went through it, yeah, you can't argue with what they did. I think they had a nice draft. Um, 
like you said, they added guys in the right spot. They added guys at positions they need help. So, you know, good job to Buffalo. I mean, listen, I think you hit the nail on the head when we talked the other day. A lot of teams in this draft did a good job. I mean, you know, I don't think there was a ton of total flops. So, you know, I think think we could both find five teams each, and we might not agree on any. Let, Let me throw out my second team here. And if you, if you, by the way, if you agree on it, Chad, just then we could go down together because I don't know if we have the same team on a list. Uh, my second team here is the Raiders. I liked what the mm-hmm. Raiders did. Um, I think getting Carl Joseph with the 14th pick, a safety, they seem to be building that defense. You know, they they got some pressure players and Khalil Mack. They added Bruce Irvin in free agency. Uh, they needed some D linemen. We'll talk about that. But they they got a guy who I think can be a center fielder in the back end of their defense. Then the second round, they come along with Ward, the defensive end from Illinois. A little bit of a project in terms of, first of all, he played at Illinois. They stink. Um, he, he's got tools. He seems like a, you know what I'll call a toolsy player, but I'm not sure how developed he is. But he's definitely got a ton of upside. And then they come around the third round and take a guy who at, was a highly productive player at Michigan State in uh, Shalik Calhoun, an undersized defenseman. Someone that, you know, I've come to know personally, did draft prep with him, outstanding young man, um, very physically talented, and, um, you know, a pick I like. But I'm a little I'm a little biased on that. Yeah, it seems weird, though, when I'm saying an undersized defensive end at 250 pounds, because to me that's a hulk of a man, but I guess that's undersized anymore. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. he's a big – If you're going to put him in a fourth, a nice, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and then they come along in the fourth round and they do it – hey, do you think they listen to the show and they're fo- these teams are following my draft strategy? Let me ask you. Just picking up a quarterback? Everybody seems like there's a second team. Maybe it's just because I'm I'm a little biased toward that strategy. But they, they go they come along. I think we had a bunch of those kind of quarterbacks in this draft. The we did. Major they, mega they, superstars, but a bunch of guys who could who could be something. So it lends yourself to let's pick one of these guys and see if we if we catch something here. Sure. And the Raiders look and say, listen, Derek Ward, uh, Derek Carr, we really like him. But you want to know something? He's young. He could go in the other direction. So we're going to take Connor Cook in the fourth round. And you know what? If Carr becomes an all-pro quarterback and we develop Cook, we'll trade him and get back way more than a fourth-rounder. Uh, so they take Connor Cook. Uh, you know, but the rest hey, of their draft. That, how do you display? How do you display, Emil, that you developed Connor Cook? Uh, I mean, Carr almost has to get injured for that to to be realized. Well, let, let's face it. Today, there's such a dearth of, of of quarterbacks in the NFL. I think if you get a guy on enough film, even in the preseason against first-teamers somebody's going to notice because everybody's desperate. You know that. You only need one team, Chad, to do a trade. You need one desperate team. So all you need to do is get enough film on a guy that you can convince a GM of a team that has no quarterback that, hey, listen, mm-hmm. look at some of this play in the preseason against first stringers. You know, And you and I might say, so what, it's preseason, but there's going to be a GM out there. They'll say, oh, I'll give you a second rounder for him or something. <laughs> you could get – well, Matt Flynn had one game when, when Aaron Rodgers was, was injured years ago in the last game of the season where no one cared. All the playoff spots were locked in. He threw for 500 yards, and the Packers traded him to Seattle and made, and made out pretty well. Yeah, and it's not like Seattle will be you know, making that type of mistake, but nevertheless, um, I, yeah. I get you on that. So we'll see what so, and then, we'll see, you know, you know, come along and and that you could get him in the fourth round um, is good to me. Right, they grab then they grab a running back like Washington. I mean, they have Lamont Murray, but let's face it, you know, we like the trajectory Murray's on, but he's not exactly a household name yet. So they grab another running back to put behind him, not necessarily displace him uh, with some different skill sets. They grab a linebacker. You know, I don't know much about Corey James from Colorado State, but in the sixth round. I mean, hell, I mean, that's worth, it's worth it, you know. So I think the Raiders overall, they did a nice job. They seem to be building that team the right way. Reggie McKenzie has a grasp on, on you know, what he thinks the Raiders should be. And, uh, you know, I, I just like what they're doing. Yeah, uh, and, and I, could, I could agree with you there. I don't know that, you know, one through seven, their draft was like the Bills. Um, but they have some a lot of potential there. Those t- three, Those top three picks are pretty solid picks. Uh, Connor Cook will just have to wait and see what happens there. Does he get an opportunity to play there? Is he able to develop? 
Uh, does he end up being the next guy for the Raiders? Or, like you said, does he develop and then the Raiders are able to pick up something nice by sending him away to another team? So, Oakland's not on my list, but, uh, you know, I can't, I can't be mad at you for picking Oakland. Um, next on my list for me is going to be the Tennessee Titans. Now, you know what we've done about the Tennessee Titans on this show. Um, who the hell's on that roster? We don't know any of these guys. So, um, I like what they've done in the offseason leading up to the draft. And, you know, they were able to secure themselves a number of picks by, by trade. So, they went out and had a draft. They picked a lot of guys. Um, I happen to like quite a few. Listen, I like Michigan State. I like the way that they develop players. They put out good football players um, every year. And their number one pick, eighth overall, Jack Conklin, uh, offensive tackle from Michigan State. They play a pro system. I like this guy. Um, And like I said, Michigan State over the last few years has seemed to do well to produce NFL football players. Kevin Dodd, another uh, great defensive end off of that um, Clemson Defense that performed very well this year. So you can bring a certain type of attitude, uh, bring a little bit of that winning defense attitude to the Tennessee Titans. It can only help them out. Um, Austin Johnson, defensive tackle from Penn State. I'm going to admit I don't know a ton about him. Um, but I've seen him because because you know their games are on a lot up here. Big kid. Uh, if I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm going to guess his size, probably 6'4", 3'10", 320. Uh, takes up space. Good run stuffer. I mean, at Penn State, he might have had five or six sacks last year, but he doesn't strike me as a guy that's, that, that's going to provide a ton of pass rush in the NFL. More of a guy who's going to be a run stuffer. I could run be wrong there. Guy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You know but hey, one thing by the way, that. I just want to interject one thing on your Tennessee here. Um, I think one of the reasons they're on your list, and I, I can't say I disagree looking at it closely now, they had a ton of picks from the fleecing they did in, in dumping that number one pick. And the more picks you have in a draft the more chance you have to be right I mean that's another key to the draft you know if you if you have five picks you almost have to hit on all of them to have a good draft if you have nine or ten picks you could you could hit on seven of them you go 70 percent you still had a good draft yeah more spaghetti on the wall here for Tennessee which which is a situation yeah. they ended up in they do get Derrick Henry in the second round somebody who could have been a first rounder um you know someone that can can force defenses to play a certain kind of way. And you do have a mobile quarterback and um, one who proved himself to be to the ability to play. Let's just see how he progresses in year two, talking about Marcus Murray. Let me ask you quickly uh, about Henry. Let me stop you here. A couple questions here. I think if this was a typical offense, a standard offense, I wouldn't like Henry here because I don't see Tennessee being a team necessarily at this point that's going to blow people off the ball so he can get going. But where I do think he'll be helped out tremendously is with Mariota running zone read, freeing, freeing some lanes for him maybe just in the way they develop that offense so he can get a crack. Because once he gets going, he's a load to bring down. But we've talked about this on previous shows leading up to the draft. He isn't a guy that's going to make people miss at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. No, no, no. Uh, he's more like Garrett Blount, I think, with more speed. I think that's what he's going to be. And uh, yeah. if he if he could if he could be that uh, with you know a little more production obviously in his early years since they're gonna you know probably make him a featured guy I think he serves the purpose here uh, for the Tennessee Titans so I like that Tajay Sharp the the wide receiver they got in the in the fifth round um, a highly highly productive guy in, uh, for UMass and I like production in college just show me that you can play this game. I'm not big on this. Well, he projects to, he projects to this, he projects to that. I mean, show me you've played this game. And if you happen to be upsized while doing it, great. I guess that's what makes you a mega pick. But a guy like this has a chance to be highly productive. Uh, you're not going to stop being a good football player now if given the opportunity. So if he's given that, I think he has a chance to do some things. Aaron Wallace, outside linebacker for UCLA, really good player. Um, has to make the team first, but I think that's a pretty decent pickup as I do uh, also feel about Kalen Reed, the cornerback. They picked up uh, their last pick in the seventh round. Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant. Might have a chance to make this team. I just like what Tennessee did, especially in the top half of this draft. I, I like I the whole draft. The only question I have is the Henry pick, and the only reason I question it is, uh, one, like I said, I, I'm going to have to see how they use him with the style, but more importantly, you just trade it for DeMarco Murray. Now, DeMarco Murray is another guy. He likes to get lathered up when he plays. What I mean by that is he's a guy that wants the ball 20 times. 
he feels the more he runs it, you know, he wears on defenses and that he just gets in a groove. There's no way you're taking a Derrick Henry in the second round and that's going to be your plan. I mean, you know, running backs have a shelf life. If you're bringing a guy in from an Alabama, I'm I'm thinking they're going to hand him the ball. So where does that make, you know, how does that make DeMarco Murray the player he can be for you? I'm not sure. Right, right, right. No, um, yeah, so it's kind of wait and see, as it is with a lot of these, but especially on that one. So who's your third team? My third team is, the, uh, believe it or not, the defending world champion, Denver Broncos. Uh, I, I kind of like what they did here. Now, you know, nobody knows. I, I think the top three quarterbacks taken in this draft, honestly, if five years from now you tell me a bunch of guys taken in the third and fourth round are all better NFL starters than the top three guys taken in this draft, I'll believe it because you hit the nail on the head before. I think – this was a draft where you could put a lot of these quarterbacks in a hat. Um, just certain guys got momentum, and uh, Paxton Lynch seems to be one of them. But a lot of teams liked him, including my Cowboys. So mm-hmm. if I trust John Elway with anything, I trust him with evaluating quarterbacks. Uh, he doesn't have one this year. I mean, they're going to probably try to win with Mark Sanchez to start the year. And with that defense and a conservative game plan and a, a guy like Kubiak, they can probably do that for a while. But uh, th- this is a guy that I think they're obviously going to groom to be their next, you know, real quarterback of the future. They come along in the second round. They grab a nice defensive end from Georgia Tech uh, and Goddess. And then they get the Simmons, the safety from Boston College, who I think is a pretty good player. They had a really good defense at Boston College. The only problem at that school is they could only get to seven most weeks, so they lost a lot of football games. But go look at their defense. I think they were number one or number two in college football. And then in the fourth round, they grab a guy that I spoke of in earlier shows, Devontae Booker, a highly productive running back from Utah. Um, Denver seems to, over the years, have always had luck with just plugging running backs in there and having them do pretty well. Uh, They grab an offensive guard in round five from Missouri. Don't know much about him, but when you can get linemen in the fourth and fifth round from power five schools, I'm going to assume the kid can play a little bit. So I just like the direction they took a team. For a team that doesn't have a ton of holes on their roster, the most glaring being quarterback, they filled that, and then they went in and started plugging some guys in on that defense because the defense is getting older in Denver. I mean, they have some guys in spots there who are getting a little long in the tooth, so they brought some younger help in. I like what the Broncos did. Uh, you know, Denver almost made my list. I do like the Paxton Lynch pickup. Uh, you lost the tall quarterback that decided he wanted to go play for the Houston Texans, feeling a certain kind of way, I guess. And you bring in another tall guy um, who's even more athletic, a younger guy, maybe perhaps a little bit easier to mold. I really like Paxton Lynch. Didn't understand why um, there was such a spread between him and Carson Wentz. So you, you get yourself a great pickup there. Uh, maybe I didn't include him because I just I don't know much about your defensive end from Georgia Tech. You know that was a little bit of a problem for me. But I can say the number three pick I happen to know very well. Trained him for his pro day and uh, for the combine. Justin Simmons is someone I am extremely high on. This kid could play cornerback. He could play safety. I think you take him and you put him around the other great group of defensive players that you have there in Denver early on in his career. It's a chance for him to learn some things, and he's uh, um, highly intelligent, um, and he gets into that system, and early, like I said, early on in his career, learns how to play NFL football and top-level NFL defense. This guy could be an all-pro. I feel that good about him. Devontae Booker, as you said, highly productive running back. The Denver Broncos do know what, if they've known what to do over the years since John Elway um, started winning Super Bowls. Not the early John Elway, but since they started winning Super Bowls there, They've known what to do with running backs, and uh, this guy could certainly come in there and be uh, highly productive for them. And then, you know what? I gave them points for picking a fullback. You know, I like fullbacks, and they got one from Nebraska. So, hell, I don't know if this uh, Janovich kid can play, but they picked a fullback. And Denver slowly, Emil, moving into the territory of being one of those teams where you might not know exactly what they're doing, but you don't question them because of the kind of uh, – um, I guess you could call it credit they've built up. By yeah, I mean, you build moves. up, hey, win, winning builds your credibility, so there's no doubt about it. Yeah, so they didn't make my list, but they very well could have. Let me tell you who's next on my list. It's the Minnesota Vikings. When I talk about wanting to see some impact, some impact players, 
uh, picked in your draft. I think Minnesota went out and did that. I think we all know about Laquan Treadwell. He was the number one, you know, I feel the best wide receiver in the draft. Only reason he wasn't picked top was the stupid thing called a 40 time. Seeing the guy play live, obviously, seeing what he could do, and um, he's really good at what he does, Amos. So they pick up Laquan Treadwell fine. He falls to them at number 23. Uh, another guy who fell was McKenzie Alexander. You know, talk about the fact that he didn't have an interception. This guy's highly competitive, and he is one of those type of guys, <clears throat> excuse me, Emil, that you can put on a number one receiver for another team and have him follow him around. Uh, so they have that kind of player, and um, I think he's going to make a good pairing um, with with what they already have there in that secondary. So, you know, good for them. Willie Beavers, when you get an offensive guard out of Western Michigan, uh, obviously there'll be some questions asked, um, but Western Michigan really got the job done on offense there. I'm going to trust Minnesota on their evaluation. If Missouri did anything over the last few years, it was play good defense, and Kentrell Brothers was someone who stood out to me on that on that defense, so they get a good pickup there. And then, you know, I don't know why this guy fell this far, but J. Ron Kirst, their last pick in the seventh round, um, out of Clemson, the safety, damn good football player. And when your seventh-round pick, I think, has a really good chance of making the football team, you might have done well for yourself in the draft. Wait so, a second. Uh, time out. You just, you just skipped time out. You just skipped the Red Baron from Germany. You, like, Aren't you going to give me some lowdown on Moritz Bollinger? He sounds like a BMW F1 driver. To, to to say that that's a wild card pick would would not do justice to the word word wild card. I'm gonna trust them on that that they've got something there. Pick them in the sixth round. We'll see what happens there. But intriguing, if nothing else. <laughs> I think you're basing your... this grade. I think you are basing this grade, and I'm not criticizing it because I think you like what they did with their first two picks. That's my guess. They got two guys that fell. I mean, in most drafts, you get one guy that fell into your lap. You know, something happened there, kind of like the Miami Dolphins, who we'll talk about. A guy falls into your lap. Um, but they got two guys, two great football players to fall yeah. into their lap. Oh, I agree. First two picks. Yeah, I like that. Well, you know what's funny? You were talking earlier with Denver, and uh, as teams get credibility, the perception becomes reality in the media. And let me give you an example. Um, you're talking wild card picks. If the New England Patriots, for instance, let me pick up, if they had taken Jalen Smith, which word was they were going to take him if Dallas didn't take him, we would be hailing on, on Sunday morning, the day after the draft, what a genius Bill Belichick is. Oh, sure. Sure. Because he was smart enough to, to get that player. Now, if, if a team isn't New England, in this case Dallas does it, well, we've got to have questions about it. But, but even though it's the same player, the same play, if it's New England, it's genius. Or if it's Denver, in this case, as you had mentioned, we have to start trusting Denver. Anyway, let me go on to my next team, a team I always trust in the draft, with a GM who's very shrewd at working the draft, the Baltimore Ravens and Mr. Ozzie Newsom. They always seem to just, you know, get the players that fit what they do. And, you know, first of all, they need some help on the offensive line. Along comes Ronnie Stanley, a guy from Notre Dame, a big offensive tackle. A, a real greater in the run game, um, pretty good in pass pro. I think he needs to work on that a little bit, but certainly all the tools are there. Uh, first lineman off the board, they saw something. I trust the Ravens, so that's nice. They come along, they take the outside linebacker from Boise State. I'm sure Ozzy will fit him into that 3-4 nicely, um, get after mm -hmm. quarterbacks, harass them. That's what Baltimore does. Then they grab a defensive end from Brigham Young. Probably another guy they'll play standing up, I'm assuming, but we'll see. Uh, you know, but the pick that I loved here, that just it fell to them at number 104 in the fourth round, is the, the corner from Temple Young. I saw him play this year. I mean, mm -hmm. to me, he's got game. I think there's a guy that you know could end up being a lot better than where he was drafted because as a fourth rounder, you don't picture the guy – uh, you know, being potentially a star, but I think the guy's got ability. I don't know if if you know anything about him, but I've seen him play. I, I like him. I, I just like what they did throughout this draft. Kenneth Dixon, the running Not back from Louisiana. Baltimore's on that list of uh, teams that you uh, may not always know what they're doing, but you don't question them because they built up a certain amount of credit. So uh, they're not on my list, but um, I'm – not going to go against the Ravens on this one. Well, look at what they – you know what I like about Ozzie? He doesn't – he, 
he doesn't reach Chad. He, he wanted, from what I've heard, he wanted Elliott. He wanted to trade up and get Elliott. He didn't get him because yeah. Dallas realized that. Well, he didn't panic. He didn't go grab, uh, you know, just the next best per everybody else in the second round. He waited, he waited, he waited, and he gets a guy that fits whatever they plan to do there in Baltimore. And Kenneth Dixon from Louisiana Tech, you know, where a lot of guys might have panicked and say, let me go out and try to get Derrick Henry. Ah, he just lets the draft come to him. He get it seems like he always gets guys that fits what he wants. Like Willie Henry, defensive tackle. Michigan had an excellent defense last year. There's a guy he grabs him in the fourth round. Now Baltimore was a team that had a bazillion picks, by the way. I mean they've probably got, if I add this list sure. up, eleven picks this year. So he doesn't they have did. to be right on all eleven. If he's right on seven of them, he had a good draft. Yeah, and that and that is that goes to the point that you were making. Next on my list uh, are your friends over there in uh, D.C., Washington, Redskins. Um, I like what they did there. Josh Dotson, wide receiver out of TCU. Hey, listen, they're feeling good about where they are offensively there, and this is a weapon for them, um, someone who can get in there and take the top off of the defense. You know, how much longer are they going to get? And then how productive, um, you know, uh, uh, is are they going to be at the uh, wide receiver position? By the way, they're on my list, too, so we can both talk about this one. I have Washington on there, too. This is one we agree on. I mean, I agree with you with Dotson. Oh, I because think. they picked the USC guy? Is that it? I like that number, too. <laughs> that, we're going to get to him, but I want to talk about Dotson. I think that was a, a very shrewd pick. Uh, Deshaun Jackson seems to be a guy that just – he's always just one good hit away from, you know, missing missing a season or half a season. And Pierre Garçon has been around a while now. So I think yeah, like you said, this he is can do his thing that he does for for a while, but it's just how much longer can Deshaun Jackson be that player that he came into the league being? Um, you know, he's got his 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 shelf life. We might be reaching the end of it, and Josh Dotson's a good guy to come in, learn from Deshaun Jackson, and and then you know eventually replace him there. So I like that pick there. Um, and then let's talk about pick uh, in the second round. Sua Cravens, what an outstanding football player who can do a lot of things. Um, he's Jalen Ramsey, but a closer to the line of scrimmage, Jalen Ramsey. Would you describe him as that? Yeah, I mean, Sue is a kid that started off in college playing safety. Um, and then because of sanctions, I mean, USC didn't get off those sanctions till his last year there, which was last year. So he was basically playing on depleted rosters. So eventually it came to fruition that, hey, you know what, this kid is six one. 220 he moves well you know let's move him up closer to the line where he can make more plays they put him at outside linebacker but he started as a safety and you know the only reason he's a second round pick and you know this his 40 time i think he ran four five nine i want to say four five eight something like that and that really pisses me off because i'd like to say to all these gms there's about 40 games worth of film in heritage hall of him tearing up the pack 12 and and you're going to base it all – he played fast enough to dominate in a conference. I mean, this is a kid that intercepted nine passes in three seasons at USC. Nine. It just drives me wild. Um, I, I like production at the college level. He did it at a high level. And so, you know, I think Sue Cravens is a big uh, – a good pickup. So is Kendall Fuller. Um, look, that whole family there, I, I just admire what they are doing with defensive backs. I have a couple of them myself – and Fuller's just another one from the Fuller family that can play in the secondary, understands the game. Um, if you ask me, he fell um, to them at number three. So it's a good pickup for them. Um, Washington. Oh, I, now, thought, I thought Fuller, by the way, in drafting Fuller, they released um, Culliver. Uh, that, yeah, Culliver, the guy they picked, they signed last year in free agency from the 49ers to a pretty nice contract. There's another example. position now. But, yeah, well, there's another example of free agency, though. Culliver came in last year on a big four-year deal from the 49ers. He's only 27 years old. He's out the door after a year, didn't fit what they wanted to do. Uh, their second starter is a guy they drafted last year. This kid will probably start off as their nickel guy. They Another big deal for Josh Norman. We'll see how that works out. But, yeah, I think this kid fell and uh, could end up with – I think their two and three picks, by the way, could end up being more impactful for this team than even their number one pick. Sure. Um, and there's another one of the, who employed the strategy that you like. They pick up Nate Sudfeld, quarterback out of Indiana, another guy highly productive in an offense that put up some pretty good numbers. And so you have your little bit of um, insurance policy there if you do lose your number one guy. Because, you know, your big-time backup, 
your highly priced backup is gone. Now he's in Cleveland. So um, if anything happens, you, you know, and you can develop this kid, you've got a solid guy that could step in and win a game or two for you um, if, if, if your top guy goes down. I agree. Well, listen, my list is complete. you got one more. Throw out your last one. Uh, my last one is going to be your guy. And I say the, I guess, you know, I saved that for last for a reason. It's the Dallas Cowboys. I like what they did. I, I feel like you did, too. You just didn't want to be Johnny Homer here on the draft. But, you know, people might be banging on this Ezekiel Elliott. And the number one reason they're doing that is we've been fooled into thinking that running backs just have no value and you could just find any old running back down there in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. I don't, I don't employ that strategy. I think if you get yourself, you have a chance to get yourself an elite running back, you do that. And when you're the Dallas Cowboys who can move people up front, that doesn't mean you could just go get any old Jim or Joe put back there. What you do is you get yourself an elite guy who can hurt people when you do open up the holes that you can open up for him, and you can make him a legit and serious weapon. I can get any old guy and put him behind Dallas's line, and he can get seven or nine yards. This guy you got here, when you open up the kind of holes that the Cowboys do up front, it's 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 yards. And that's when you become a damn good offense because now you got to change the way you play, and now your guys on the outside can have an even bigger field day. Did anyone not learn anything from the trip well, there? In well, let me, try to, let me try to frame this. Let me try to frame this the way I think they probably did, and I'm guessing here, but from what I read a lot about them, obviously. I think the real hard decision for them would have been had San Diego not taken Boza. I know everybody said they figure once they took Boza, Dallas was taking Ramsey. I think had Boza been there, and I'm glad he wasn't, by the way, because um, mm-hmm. you know he, I'm not sold on him yet, but I think Dallas would have been hard-pressed not to take him. But when they were looking at their defense, once Boza's gone, they probably looked and said, okay, we can take Jalen Ramsey, but we basically took a guy that we believe is Jalen Ramsey, in Byron Jones last year, who, by the way, I sent you an article. Byron Jones' workout at the Combine last year was even better than Jalen Ramsey's. One of the well, that's what got him where he was. Pick. Right. He's a, what they call a three. He's a three-sigma uh, talent, meaning he's three-sigmas, deltas, better than people at his position in terms of his workout. There's only five of those guys in the NFL at different positions. He's one of them. So I think they looked and said, listen, we can pair Jalen Ramsey with Byron Jones back there, but if we're not going to get after the quarterback, they're still going to be hard-pressed to be uh, you know, a Denver Broncos type of defense. So what's the mm. quickest way for us to help our defense in lieu of not getting a pass rusher? And that's going to – because they have two good pass rushers that are going to be suspended the first four games, Lawrence and uh, right. Gregory. And I think they looked and said, you know what? The best way to get through those four games is control the ball, run the ball, and we have an elite running back. And I think that's the key here with, with Elliott. He was so much better than every back on the board. They're saying, you know, since Peterson came out, he's probably the most complete back since Peterson came out. And what that means is he can catch the ball. He picks up blockers. One of the best blocking backs, Todd McShay, said that he's ever scouted. I think that that makes Dallas's defense better. And I've gotten in arguments with Cowboy fans who don't like the pick. They're telling me, well, Durham McFadden had 1,100 yards last year. And I'm like, okay. So if Darren McFadden had 1,100 yards, what would this guy have had? Same argument with DeMarco exactly. Murray. The now, mind eight. you people listening to the show, the, the Cowboys are my pick. Um, but I'll be damned if this guy isn't just going off about what the Cowboys No, did. I mean, I like – listen, you, you could tell you me why you like the – So let me just run no, through you this really quick. Like the... Elliott, okay, if you just go back to the 90s, would you rather have had Emmett Smith back there running behind the Cowboys line or Derek LaVille from Oregon? I think Emmett Smith is who you wanted. So you get the running back that you want, Jalen Smith. Bell, because of an injury, is a good football player in this day and age, and I know this from um, personal experience. You, They can come back from, from knee injuries. Great pickup there. Malik Collins, obviously a solid player for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I like number four, um, Charles Tapper, defensive end from Oklahoma. And then the biggest thing for me is that Dak Prescott pickup, uh, an undersold guy here in the draft as a quarterback. And if you do lose Tony Romo again, Dak Prescott could come in and actually win you games. Not just hold down the fort, but I think this guy can win games for you. So, Amo, listen, we tried to do an hour, and we're trying to run over it, and we won't be able to do that today. So, um, again, programming note, we won't be back until August. I hope you've enjoyed us here in this spring season. We're coming back bigger and better in August. 
It's the Gridiron Stud Show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. For Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll see you guys in August. Enjoy our archived shows. This is the end. Thank you for listening.